the Trent, the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity, theft crime in the night, pick pop, keep the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road, Rochambeau, tic tac toe, crossing a roll with the nice flow, with my industry, see me room, room, play monopoly with my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth, teeth. Happy 2017, Venters. While America is focused on President-elect Trump and his connection to Russia and his upcoming inauguration and untold American stories like the box office blockbuster Hidden Figures, in this episode, I sat down with two local Hidden Figures who are on a mission to impact America via their little box, in their words. I would suggest gathering the children around and listening to this episode as a family. It will be an hour and 15 minutes well spent. Here it goes. How do you do, Venters? Uh, well, today I am sitting with the co-founders of Mind Hatchery and also the creators of, Dream, of the Dream Keepers Box, and that would be Dina Williams and Alicia Nelson. So, ladies, thank you for um, joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Not a problem. So let's um, first get into when you were younger as, as children. I always like to start back in the day. Mm -hmm. So what did you two, and both of you can answer it, what did you two want to do as a child before anyone told you what you ought to do? Oh, wow. I, I know for me, I think I went through a few different, this is Dina, how, hi everyone. <laughs> um, I went through a few different versions i think I, I liked i thought i would be a doctor and then i don't like blood and scared of needles so that kind of went out the window um but something i really thought i was going to get into was being a writer i used to love to write short stories um just all throughout my childhood i always had like my little journal doing that i'm um, in high school i like to also do creative writing and so forth um i just ended up not studying it formally when i got to college but writing is just something i've always i just always enjoyed so i saw myself as a big Next big novelist. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. I can uh -huh. see that. Um, for me, I think as Dina mentioned, I went through several different iterations of what I wanted to be. Um, some of those iterations happen on four-year cycles around the Olympics. So every Olympic period, I wanted to be an Olymp Olympic gymnast or an archer or things of that nature. Um, but beyond that, uh, I had thoughts of pursuing a career in medicine. My dad was a pharmacist, so I thought, you know, maybe I'll become a pharmacist or a pediatrician or a dentist. Um, I had those thoughts for a while. I really enjoyed cooking and that came from like the time I spent with my grandmother. So I had thoughts of being a chef, but I couldn't figure out like how that related to my dreams of going to college. So I kind of put that to the side, but I still like cooking to this day. Um, and then my mom was a teacher. So I also um, had a healthy respect and admiration for what she was doing. I thought it was a hard job. And I thought that that was probably the one job that I would not pursue. And that's the career pathway that I actually ended up taking um, just because I found like there's some natural talent there around teaching and learning. And like I really get joy out of like helping people learn, whether it's little people or big people, which is what I do in my uh, role now. So I went through lots of different phases of uh, what I thought I would be. So let's talk a little bit about the companies. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with the name Mine Hatchery and 
what does that exactly mean yeah yeah so it's funny we, we, were, we were thinking about this um actually my fiance came up with the name we were sitting around alicia and i started talking about this business uh she sent me a text message i think it was like september or october of 2015 yeah, yeah. and all sorts of things were going on in the news and um she sent me this text message saying i'm, I'm just kind of tired of what's happening how you know what's happening to black men and the police and we yeah, need to do something yeah. yeah, and she's yeah. like, we need to do something about it. And so we just started talking about what is it that we could do. We both sort of come from, we met while we were working at an education nonprofit here in L.A. So we were very much committed to education and just really thinking through this mission of how do we, from where we are now, try to do something to change the narrative and change the story. And so we're describing this business, our idea to, to my fiancé, and describing how we want to inspire young people and propel them towards success. And he sort of said, oh, you're hatching little minds, like mind hatchery. And we were like, oh my gosh, that's it, that's you know? It. <laughs> uh, and so we just kind of ran with that. We had our logo that has like a little egg carton with little minds sitting in it. But that was really our, our vision. Um, and then we started thinking more specifically about the Dreamkeepers box and about how to create an experience that kids would have in their home, something that would supplement what they're, what they're getting we're not getting in school um, in terms of, of STEM education, STEAM education, black history. And just this idea of um, this dream that parents have for their children, this dream that Martin Luther King talks about, uh, talked about, and, and this dream that came from the civil rights movement. And so that's really where dream keepers came from. We're saying we see ourselves as the dream keepers. Uh, we see the children, the younger generation as the dream keepers. And so that, that dream sort of motif and idea is really what, what sort of um, formed that name. Have anything to add, Alicia, to that? <laughs> I think that captures it. Yeah. All right, good. So obviously on the eve of MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day, mm -hmm. since you brought it up, <laughs> how, I mean, you, you tell me about the name and how that's affected the, the name of the company, but how meaningful is MLK Day in America and to America? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's significant. I mean, we stand on the accomplishments of those people who came before us, clearly. So not only for me is it a day of gratitude for Dr. King, but for Ella Baker and John Lewis and Brother Malcolm and uh, Medgar Evers. Um, and especially given the current context of the world that we're living in today, clearly the work is not done. I mean, we've got political figures disparaging uh, the contributions of our community. Um, we see the abuse that we as black people experience at the hands of those who are intended to protect us. Um, I think this last political season has really been a call to action for many black people. And we're seeing more shifts in things like activism and uh, demands for policy changes and concerted efforts of people to just get back to our roots. Um, I've had lots of friends who've reached out and talked about like, how do I teach my kids about our history so that we don't lose that? Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, the time is now. Um, so yes, to your question, yes, it is a significant day, however you choose to spend the day, whether it's going to a parade or organizing a protest or spending it as a day of service mm -hmm. or just spending it as a day to reflect and remember and reorient ourselves around the work that still needs to be done. Um, for me, um, I spend so much of my personal time, you know, working in public education uh, and giving to others. I am spending the day at, um, having a date with my husband and my stepson, and we're going <laughs> to actually go see Hidden Figures tomorrow. That's how oh. we're going to um, 
spend uh, MLK Day um, and just have conversations around like our past and our present and how that informs his future and our future. So yeah, it is still meaningful. So Hidden Figures. Yeah. So obviously, Alicia, you have not seen I it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, if I would have come two yeah. days later, yeah, right, then right, right. I would get you. Yeah. Um, have you seen it yet, I Dina? Have, I have. So let's talk about Hidden Figures a little bit. Yeah. So what's the impact that that movie will have on America as a whole and particularly concerning minorities and, and women? Yeah, um, the movie was phenomenal. I mean, so you're gonna enjoy it so much that tomorrow. Is. I know. <laughs> Did I go in the other Spo room right spoiler there? Spoiler alert. alert. Exactly. The, the, I know how it is. <laughs> go ahead. Um, but uh, I think what's really, I mean, I think the box office success, I was just so thrilled after opening weekend and it beat out, you know, a big Star Wars film. I mean, so people are running out to see this. And I think the reason why it really resonates with people is because. For so long, the stories of, of African-Americans or the contributions of, of people of color have just not been told. I mean, they've been there, but no one's talking about them. And so, you know, I think when there finally was a movie that showed these black women in roles of power and in being smart. <laughs> I mean, these are brilliant women. And I think that that's just something that, I mean, it clearly showed that there's an appetite for more of these stories, which is certainly something that we, we try to, to capitalize on now, of course, through our business as well. But, you know, we've made such amazing contributions in science and medicine, um, engineering, arts, law. I mean, it just runs the gamut. And so I think that is really what why it's important, is just showing that we are more than just what Hollywood tries to tell us that we are. We're more than sports figures and rappers. We're a lot more than that, a lot more complex than that. Um, uh, you know, and, and I look forward to seeing more stories like this. I mean, for me personally, I'm a STEM girl. You know, I studied engineering uh, in undergrad. I went to USC. And um, the reason why I studied engineering was because my cousin was an engineer. So you asked me about sort of growing up, what mm -hmm. I wanted to be was sort of this writer. But then in high school, I started talking more to my cousin who was studying engineering at uh, Cal Poly Pomona. And he was always telling me, he's like, you're good in math and science, you should be an engineer. And I would see what he did and saw how he what he was learning and studying. And so I said, oh, well, then I want to be an engineer. So I think it's just really, that really resonates with me because I think through, the, through my experience, through the movie as well, you see the impact of role models. That's why all of these kids are running around thinking they can all be president of, of the United States now because they saw a black president there for eight years. So role models are incredibly important. And when young black children see those role models, suddenly it opens up their eyes and it gives them a little glimpse of themselves as an adult and what they can be. And so I know how that played out for me as a kid. And um, so I have a feeling we're gonna see a lot more young girls and boys of all colors wanting to be mathematicians and scientists and engineers because of seeing that movie and hopefully more like them. Why do you think, and question can go to either one of you, why do you think it has taken so long for this story to be told? <laughs> Who's listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, as you said, who's listening? And I think the other part of it is within our schools, history tends to be told in a very Eurocentric way. Um, beyond our cultural appreciation months like Black History Month or Hispanic Heritage Month or mm -hmm. Asian Pacific Island Heritage Month, we don't hear or learn about the contributions of people of color. For instance, when we heard about John Glenn landing on the moon, why didn't we hear mm -hmm. about Katherine Johnson and how 
he would have fallen out of orbit <laughs> if it were not for her brain. You know, we don't hear those stories. Um, you know, I think there's probably, I don't know, I don't want to be too controversial. <laughs> but I mean, I think that there's a documented history of our country profiting off of the sweat and the brain trust, uh, trust of people of color and those people not being credited for yeah. their contributions. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate, um, as Dina said, like who's listening, uh, matters. Um, but I think that we as black people have a responsibility to make sure that these stories get told. Uh, we're thankful for Margot Shetterly for mm -hmm. telling the story mm -hmm. of hidden figures. And I think that, uh, it is a call to action that we need to chronicle these stories and make them more broadly and widely available because this is not just black history. It's American history and it's yeah. a disservice to all of our children if we are not fully educating uh, our kids about the rich tapestry of this country and the contributions of not only black people, but Latinos and Asian Americans mm -hmm. and like the great things that people have done in general. Um, it's part of why we do this push to put children's books in all of our boxes to make sure that these stories are getting told. Um, but you know, it's hard even then to find children's books because I would say like 10% of the market share um, are books featuring African-American characters or being told about or told about African-American people. So we've got to do more there. We've got to do more around that. So maybe you need to tap into your writing bag and I know. write some more books. <laughs> write some books right? Yeah, write some books here. Yeah. But I think when you talk about the stories being told, I mean, I think that movies are certainly one way. So yeah. there are a lot of documentaries and so forth. But, yeah. but who's watching those, right? Mm -hmm. Or books, you know? I mean, a lot of our customers are discovering these books through us. And so it's not like... Um, they're not getting into the hands of people fast enough, or or more, or as broadly enough, you know, broadly enough. The internet has a wealth of information, but you have to know what to look for. So I think um, movies are certainly a great way to deliver that, but there are lots of other ways to to deliver that learning as well. Off the top of your head, and before we began and, and mic'd up, mm -hmm. um, you guys told me the story of, of Mary Bowser. Mm -hmm. um, and you could share that story sure. if you want, but are there any other stories out there that you know of that you're just dying to, to make awareness of? Mm -hmm. Want to talk about Mary? I think it's such uh, an amazing story. Yeah, so one of the um, books we featured in our most recent forensic box is a book about Mary Bowser, who is actually a Civil War uh, spy within the Confederate White House. Um, she was acting at this time as a um, indentured servant to the um, to the uh, president at the time, or the president of the Confederacy. Um, and clearly, I didn't know that she could read or write, but she could read, she could write, um, and she had a photographic memory. So she was able to sneak into the office, uh, take a look at plans for uh, battles upcoming, and was able to feed uh, those uh, that intel to the uh, Union soldiers so that they were two steps ahead. Um, and not many people know this story of Mary, Mary Bowser. Um, so I would say that's one hidden figure that um, we've recently yeah. uh, exposed kids to. Um, even some contemporaries, like uh, when we don't find literature, like we use um, our collectible cards in our box to highlight hidden figures like within each um, career industry. I don't know, Dina, if you want to talk about some of the different- Bonnie Johnson is a good one. Yeah, so in our first box we had um, a book called Woosh, uh, which featured Lonnie Johnson, who was the inventor of the Super Soaker. And not a lot of kids know that that 
water gun that they were playing with was created by a black man. So we wanted them to know this. Um, who was an engineer at NASA. Who was an engineer at NASA. Um, so there are lots of these hidden stories. I mean, there's tons. Like, I feel like I should pull up our spreadsheet. Of, like All of the books that we ever want to put in these boxes. But Lonnie yeah. Johnson, Valerie Thomas, who patented an illusion transmitter and is responsible for the fact that we can see movies in 3D. You know, things like that. We don't hear these stories. Mm -hmm. Like, And these are our people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that, it, you know, we've been around now for about six months. We just shipped our sixth box. And I was thinking about this, this, this interview, this podcast. And so I just started thinking like, how many people have we introduced our subscribers to? And it's been over 50 of these, of these individual black men and women past and present um, who've just made such amazing contributions through a wide range of these fields. So like, I don't know if you mentioned, but we, our box focuses on um, the fields of science, engineering, technology, uh, oh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And so we try to bring leaders from all of those different fields. Um, and so it's been over 50 and we still have a lot more to talk about. So there are tons of these stories out there. Good. So, Dina, I'm glad that you mentioned STEAM. Mm -hmm. Obviously, before you said you're a STEM girl, that's obvious. <laughs> but somehow, you guys, you added the A yeah, there. Yeah, that's probably my push, huh? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. so, why did you feel the need to add the A to, yeah. to make it STEAM? Yeah, so, of course, the, the A represents arts. <laughs> um, I went to a performing arts high school. And it is something that is a passion of mine because I believe an arts education builds a well-rounded student, period, point blank, the end. That's just my mm -hmm. personal bias. But when we talk a lot about global competition, we generally focus on science, technology, engineering, and math. And we constantly compare ourselves to countries like India and China, but no one talks about the fact that arts education is a huge component of learning in India and China. We tend to talk about the science, the technology. We don't talk about the fact that they are putting an investment in making sure that, the, that their kids have an arts education as well. Well, why? Well, we know arts education spurs creativity and innovation. And innovation and that ability to create yep. solutions to complex problems, new problems, things like the problems that uh, Katherine Johnson solved for NASA, those are critical to the workplace of the future. So we have to exercise that part of our brain that don't necessarily get tapped into by the linear nature of just plain old science and math and technology. So like, mm -hmm. I felt it was important to just kind of help kids, you know, do things of a more creative and innovative nature because those are important skills to develop as well. And you know, if you're thinking about kids, um, becoming entrepreneurs yeah. you know and it's not just sort of going and working for someone but coming up with ideas and seeing the problems around them and thinking about creative ways to solve them I think that the adding yeah. in that arts component is a really important skill to develop also you know yeah. so that we're developing not just the workforce of the future but the business leaders of the future yeah. Yeah. so that's and parents as soon as we said that we were adding in art and doing steam so many parents were like Thank you. Thank nice. you for understanding that because we know that these are the budgets that get cut from schools. Mm -hmm. You know, art and music and dance. Those are not budgets that are that are supported, you know, or, or maintained when things get tough financially for some of these schools. And so if we can continue to celebrate those and, and continue to to make sure that kids are seeing what that looks like. I mean, if you think about Mae Jameson, you know, when she was a little girl, she was the first African-American um, astronaut in space. She was a dancer, mm -hmm. you know. She loved dance. was a was a dancer, and then 
um, in school then ended up going and studying medical science and becoming an astronaut. So it's not one or the other, but we're multifaceted people. And so we can be creative and analytical at the same time. Yeah. Alicia, what were, are you piano or you dance or what's your? So it's interesting. (laughs) I was, uh, in high school, I was a vocal music major is what we called our, our areas were majors. But, uh, my grandmother, uh, who's 90, will be 90 years old in two months. Um, has been a piano teacher for like 70 years. So like it was part of my life to like play the piano and like to exercise that part of the brain. Interestingly enough, she was also a double major in chemistry and in biology (laughs) undergrad back in the 1940s. Um, So like that whole idea of arts and the sciences going hand in hand was just like what I knew of life. My dad, who was the pharmacist, used to teach my grandmother's organ uh, organ, uh, students in her music school. So um, yeah, so arts education has been a part of my life and Mm -hmm. something I hold near and dear to my heart. And I don't feel like I would be okay, you know, just (laughs) representing our Dream Keepers box with just purely STEM learning, but the arts was something that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. So other than adding the arts to STEM. Is there any other ideas that you might have that, how, how do I phrase this question? Okay, let me, let me do it again. Yeah, no. So what do you believe in relative to STEM and STEAM that most people don't? So besides adding the arts to STEM, is there something that you, you two believe in that most would be like, ah, oh, that's, that's baloney? Well, so I guess our, what our take on it is, is that it's not just enough to teach the skills. It's not just enough to say, you need to go study STEM. You should get into a STEM career. That's where we're sort of, so through our box, we try to contextualize what that means. So it's not just the experiment, but then we take it a step further and say, okay, so if you do have an interest in you know, space or you know, chromatography or whatever it is, here is what the careers can look like. And then we each of those cards, we do career cards in each box as well to show that pathway. If you're interested in this career, here's what the career looks like. Here's how much you can make. Here's what you need to study when you're in school. And then here's what you could, you know, here's what, what, what if you, we always end off our each card with the dream big. Like here's the big thing. You might be the first person to walk on Mars. Like whatever it is, you know, just trying to give kids an idea, something aspirational to kind of hold on to as well. So I think... What we do is we just try to, I hope I'm answering the question, but we try to, we contextualize it Mm -hmm. versus just not, it's not just important to to study this stuff, but here's what it can lead to. Mm -hmm. And then here are some role models who look like you. So you can see that we're not just saying this, but that it's actually possible for you. And so that was really when we came across, we came up with this box, that was really important to pull all of that together. Um, And each box, we're very mindful about doing that, pulling that whole story together contextualizing what this the purpose of this because sometimes kids if they can't connect to it you know they're just it's like if they're just doing a problem set but they don't really understand the larger context of it then it's just an exercise but if you can show them get them excited about the career then it makes the exercise a little bit more exciting now so yeah and this is me learning a lot about education for my business partner (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's like you're giving them a roadmap very mindful of outcomes like what is the outcome that we want to drive towards because i feel like in school so frequently kids feel like they're doing 
things for the adult as opposed to having the broader outcome in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this conversation in my house all the time. Like when Donovan is writing a paper, I'm like, who are you writing this for? My teacher. No, you're not writing this for your teacher. You're writing this to inform someone. What do you want to teach people about this? So like having that industry connection and having that connection to like, how does this approximate a real world experience that I have to do in life is so critical. And that's what we try to provide in our projects um, as opposed to just like really cool science project. Like what's what's the connection to the real world that, that we try to like have a lens on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I have a question that I've been asking lately. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's going to be perfect for, for the two of you. So, Alicia, you can you can answer first. Okay. Are you right-handed or left-handed? I am right-handed. Are you right brain or left brain? Um, so, since you get, you know got the arts and yeah. obviously you got the STEM thing going, which one would you say, right brain, left brain? You might know which is the right brain is more creative. Okay. Right. I would say I'm more of a right brain person, even though I'm right-handed. I tend to be like that big picture visionary type of person who dreams big about possibilities and have to be reeled back in and say, okay, well, what are the steps that get us there? Um, I'm known as that person on my team at work of like saying, we should do this. Imagine a world where this existed and my team's like, okay, let's figure out how to operationalize that. (laughs) So yeah, that's, I tend to be uh, that right brain, creative, big outside of the box Mm -hmm. thinker. Uh, Dina, what about you? So I am right-handed, but I think I'm more left-brained. So I, I rely more on um, on the analytical side. But what's really interesting, and this is just kind of one of those, and then you might notice there's like this huge bin over here of knitting stuff. So a few years ago, I got very much into knitting. And, but what I found is that I'm, I'm still very analytical in how I do things. It's how I cook. I'm not someone who just gets in the kitchen and just says, I'm just going to whip something up. That's Sweet. Alicia. That's other people I know. That's not me. I need a recipe. Need a recipe. I need a recipe. You give me the instructions and I can, it'll be good at the end of the day. Um, and knitting for me was really interesting because it is very technical. And so I have instructions. I know what to do. But what I found is that through doing it, I actually became very creative. And so as I chose the different colors or I started to iterate on what the designs were. So I think I'm, my inclination is to be more left brain, but I try to dip over to the rights. I find it informs me or, or gives me a gateway mm-hmm. to be more creative. Yeah, I don't know if you can just be one though, can you? Yeah. Because I think that you have to have structures that even inform your dreaming big. Like you have to be able to clarify what are those big questions that we're tr- struggling with and like get down to it and like look at metrics, look at numbers to inform mm-hmm. like what are the possibilities for the future. So I almost said, said that I was like, I don't know. Both. I think that's a word. <laughs> it is now. It is now. Yeah, I'm finding that most people are answering that. There's somewhere in the middle, a yeah. little bit of both. Yeah. And so it's it's yeah. pretty funny that sometimes it's like I'm right brain, I'm left brain. It's like, yeah. well, we're probably a little bit of both. Yeah. It's probably that's how I look at politics too. Aren't yeah. we all kind of moderate and right. kinda of, but we won't get political I right now. <laughs> we probably make for good business partners because we feed off of that in each other. Because mm-hmm. I will go like, let's iterate all day on two years worth of boxes. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, let's, let's <laughs> we this operations calendar like now. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah. focus on this. Uh-huh. Let's um, talk about stereotypes. Hmm. 
which is also another interesting thing to me because because sometimes when I think about stereotypes, I think at the end of the day, after thinking about them, I'm like they're they're kind of true, and maybe that's how it became a stereotype. So, what's your opinions on stereotypes as a whole? <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, I think sometimes we rely on stereotypes to try to understand. It's like, it's like really what you're trying to do, trying to process, you know, information. It's like when you walked in, I may have tapped into some stereotypes I had about whatever it was, people from Long Beach or you know, <laughs> <laughs> really black men in tie dye shirts. <laughs> there you go. Right. And, and so that might be sort of where people just feel very comfortable, like kind of starting. So give me for example, when I lived in Chicago, I'm from Los Angeles, but I lived in Chicago for about five years. And everybody who I met who was actually from Chicago, the first question they ask you is, where'd you go to high school? And it was really weird to me. I'm like, why do they care I went to high school? And what I finally realized is that they were trying to figure out, like, get some context for who I was. And so by, if I had gone to, they want to know if you went to, where you went to high school in Chicago. Mm -hmm, and once I said I didn't go to high school in Chicago, then they had absolutely no idea what to think about me. But if I had said I went to, Whitney Young or whatever, then they would automatically be able to say, oh, okay, so she's this type of person. Put you in that box, right? Yeah, and I think in some ways it could, so using that example, I think it could have been an interesting way for somebody to try to connect with you, but I think it can also be a, be a block, be a barrier, because if people rely too much on those stereotypes, then they can really miss out on understanding who somebody really is. And so... I have to be perfectly honest, I didn't really develop any, very many authentic relationships with people who are from Chicago. And I think that that was an initial. Chicago subscribers, we love you. <laughs> Make sure you put that right, in. Exactly. Because I do have listeners in other areas. Sure, sure. But I just think, but that was just, that was a very interesting experience. But now people who I worked with and got to know, it was very different. But I'm just talking about like when you meet people socially, yeah. that's like the first thing I think yeah. um, the go-to. So I think it's just people trying to understand what can I assume about you? What box can I put you in that I understand based on these stereotypes? Yeah. Well, I would say, Felicia, I was going to yeah, say for you, on. but so what, and hold your thought, but so what about the self-assessed stereotypes that our kids might be putting on themselves yeah. saying yeah. that they, they hear that as African-Americans, we can't do math. Well, yeah, how, yeah. how is that affecting yeah. us? Yeah. So I was going to say the danger in stereotypes is, um, like it then informs people's beliefs and processing yeah. systems around life, whether it's a matter of a lack of exposure, um, what you bring up, like ex lack of exposure to other people or lack of exposure to careers. And that's a slippery slope. Uh, one of the things that we constantly talk about is kids can't be what they can't see. Um, and it's one of the reasons we're really mindful of putting examples of mathematicians who look like them in front of them, uh, scientists. Um, it's, yeah, so there, there is truth to the fact that stereotypes can have a hindering or crippling effect, and that's something that we are super mindful of, um, making sure that we kind of, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, that we, we address. I think... Yeah. But we try not to we try not to buy into it, right? So I no. think so we don't believe that black children are not capable of those things. So it's not sort of so I don't think that we approach it and we have to overcome that because I think it's just our mm. natural assumption because we know that that's not the case. 
And so I think, so I'm just, so it's an interesting question because I don't think that we think about that very much mm-hmm. in terms of how we develop. We don't, like, we send a, an experiment, like, I mean, the stuff that Alicia just, you know, the way she lays out these lesson plans, these kids are learning some pretty complex things. For instance, when the lesson about slime. So they're making slime, but at the same time, they're learning about the properties of polymers. You know, did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Non, Non-Newtonian <laughs> fluids. <laughs> Over my head. Exactly. Well, but but I she doesn't make the assumption that yeah. kids can't understand that. Yeah, and I think when I was a classroom teacher, I had that mindset that you just put stuff in front of kids and see what sticks you don't tell them what they can and cannot do um so like that shouldn't be a hindering factor like the fact that someone thinks that you can't be uh something didn't come up in a, in conversations in the classroom so yeah i yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you so to my understanding the dream keepers box is intended for eight to twelve years old yes. right do you eventually intend to have something for children that might be younger and even children That's over 12? That's the million dollar question. Well, we've been thinking about that. We've been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. As parents have expressed an interest, they, you know, they want more. They're like, go younger, go younger. So we've been thinking about it. We've been, yeah, we're doing our strap planning today after. All right, good. This. Um, and the other thing that people have been pushing on is like, we, they want to see people from other cultures Mm -hmm. Um, because we've actually had quite a few subscribers who are non-black subscribers who love this and they were like it would be great if like you could highlight latino people and asian american people so we're thinking about what's the 2.0 version of the dream keepers box and one of the conversations we've been having is how do we expand our impact yeah and that's really what it comes down to and i think it's it's um expanding our impact and so that's why when we talk about our our box we talk about african-american leaders but this is not something that's only accessible for african-american families Mm -hmm. i mean for any parent you know an experiment where your child is learning and developing skills in stem is absolutely valuable we just give you some a bunch of different role models who you may not have been exposed to and so we don't that's what i'm saying it's like when we do it we do it in a way that is accessible to anyone and would not be um why are they only talking about you know X Y and Z? We we just we try to stay really away from that, and so um, we've just been talking a lot about about how do we extend 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 our impact, and so that we can get this out to more children. Um, that's really the mission that we we started this with. Is really we're trying to change the world, you know, through our little box, and we're trying to change the trajectory of of, of children. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's really that's what we want to do. Which is interesting for me as a non educator you know to still that's but it's still a mission that i believe very deeply i've been working in education higher ed and and k-12 for the last 10 years or so and so from my own outside perspective with more of the business perspective still trying to figure out how can i make that type of a, of a difference without you know being directly in front of kids and so that's why working with alicia has been the perfect relationship for us to come into so we go st- directly to the kids and directly to the parents in their homes yeah my next question, a little bit different, and I think I know the answer by just sitting in your in your office, Dina. So, <laughs> once again, both of you can answer it. So, Dina, you can go first. Mm-hmm. So, would you rather have a large library, which I see all your books <laughs> behind you, or a large TV? A large library. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I think people disagree about the TV. Um, <laughs> I I love my book. You know, and this is not even. I had to get rid of a lot of books because they just didn't fit in my office, and it was just too overwhelming. And so, 
I, there are tons of them still in my storage unit. So um, I belong to a book club. So each month I'm getting a new book. And so now they're all electronic, but still I, I love reading. I mean, I've always, always, from the time I was a kid, mm -hmm. I would always have a book with me. And I was the type of kid, it's so funny, whenever I was reading a book, and I still do this, whenever I read a book, it's with me until I finish it. We would go, my mother would say, we're going somewhere, and there I am with my book, you know, so it's, oh, now it's just on my phone or in my iPad, it's still with me, but I like to, to keep it with me until I finish it, even sometimes after, so, um, yes, no, so, I But do you it. have a preference for an actual book as opposed to an e-book, or do you? I prefer books, but, but e-books, just because I, I don't have room for them all. I just, I, I just can't. It's just too much clutter, unfortunately. I hate to call them clutter. Yes. But it's just I don't have the space for all the books that I would want to bring into this home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have enough room for me. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why I ask that is, I, I don't know where, I, I read it somewhere, that to carry a book around with you, as you say, you used to always go with yeah. places with books underneath your arm. Mm -hmm. It just makes you look more interesting, right? <laughs> to, to to other people, it's like, wow, that person always has has a book. So obviously, you can't show that on your eBooks on your phone. And I mean, I guess they'll figure it out once they see you really staring at something. Yeah. Yeah. But just thought that was interesting. Um, Alicia, library. Large library or large TV? Absolutely large library. Um, I love books. I like physical books, much to the chagrin of my husband, because I like keep a stack of books like by the bed. And he's like, really, can we do something about this? I was like, I'm still reading this. So I have like books on deck. Like this morning I pulled out uh, uh, March, uh, the graphic novel about John yeah. Lewis. And like, I'm reading those. And he's like, why are there these books all over the bed? I was like, because you need to read them too. We're gonna read this together. He's like, okay, whatever. But like, I like a physical book. And I think that comes from childhood. My mom would like every other week take us to this uh, black bookstore in Houston called Amistad because it was one of the few places that you could find books written by African-Americans about African-Americans. And hmm. we would just get books and like buy books. And like constantly we had black children's books. She would have her books everywhere we went. You know, we had books on deck. Like if mm -hmm. I was sitting in my brother's basketball practice I had my book she had her book you know if I, we were if they were waiting on me we had books so it just became a way of life and a culture mm -hmm. that like even in my yellow bag over there I probably have some <laughs> random book that's on deck for me to read whether it's nail with this business like going through lots of different children's books um, to leisure reading for myself to reading for work so mm -hmm. definitely a library it's a long way to say a library yeah yeah, yeah. Library. yeah. Mm -hmm. obviously you, you put the books into the dream keeper's box yeah. so you're promoting reading do you feel like with the millennials mm -hmm. do, do you feel like we're we're losing that uh, art of, of reading um, with them I think to, uh, to a certain extent we are but I would like to believe that you know maybe we're playing a role in reigniting some type of interest um, I heard Melody Hobson speak the other day and she said something interesting she said great leaders need mentors but you can become a great leader if you read um, and I thought that was so profound that like in the absence of mentors these books mm. can serve to like guide That's your awesome. pathway and to guide your direction so I would hope that like the novelty of this box coming especially for children and there's like this curated stuff that's been thought of for them that 
it does inspire them to pick up books and read yeah. um, again. I don't know what your thoughts are. We were very deliberate. We went back and forth over this a lot. And we just, we you know, because people you know, in these days like talk about this, this you know, where things are now people said well well why not why not make an app that was the first thing a lot of people said make an app okay yeah. kids have yeah. quite yeah. enough screen time Especially right millennials would <laughs> right. say yeah make yeah. an app make an app and so we said no um think of ours as like an analog version which is so ridiculous but i mean if you want a digital versus analog it's a very analog solution um and we really were very much committed to to keeping books um you know which are not inexpensive by any stretch of the imagination, but we just think that there's something really special about a child and a parent opening up a book, reading it together, reading it out loud, um, that is good for the family. You know, I think parents, and I have to be honest, like the people that we're learning about, I don't know about these people. I mean, I've been learning so much about of all these different leaders as we've been sort of started this venture. So a lot of the parents, are learning about individuals as well so it's a really good experience for the family to be able to sit down with this box go through the cards together read the books together do the activities together and so it's interesting what we've been finding is that we designed the box as something that kids could do alone but what we've been finding is that our customers have actually been doing them together as a family yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, that's that's um, awesome we had a funny story about a, a former colleague of dina's who's still a colleague <laughs> of mine who uh, subscribes to our box and getting the zoology box. He was like, that was the best box ever because we had an owl pellet dissection experiment. And his wife was like, that's going outside. We're doing this outside. And they were dissecting it. And every time they pull out something, they're like, ew, it's a bone, it's a beak. But he's like, we could not stop. It has become like the thing that the kids are like, are we going to open it now, dad? Are we about to open it? Are we going to open it now? So he like tries to create like this special time in which they can do it collectively as a family and read the books and do the experiments yeah, together. Box unveiling, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. And this might be a deep question, maybe, maybe not, but, <laughs> but, but it could be something personal moment or it could be a, a moment in, in history. So what moment in history had the most effect on where you are today? Hmm. <laughs> I always like stomping people with questions. Interesting. This is Dina. Yeah, okay. Dina. <laughs> so that's really interesting. I think for me, uh, there have been so many moments, but I think one of them for me that's really in my own personal history, um, really kind of set me up for where I am now is I actually went to boarding school, which is unusual, you know, um, for a little black girl from LA. Um, but just that it was a school through, it was a program called A Better Chance and um, national program that really looks for minority kids to go to some of the top independent schools across the country. And so um, by me going, kind of stepping out of my home at like, 15, you know, 16 years old and going and living at this school, even though it was only like a couple hours away, it seemed like it was a whole other world. But for me, I think it did a few things. One, it just really gave me a lot of confidence in myself um, to be able to just do something on my own, you know, and, and just to kind of chart my own path and know that my parents supported me in that. But I think it was just a very um, empowering experience. But it also really got me to the place where I 
was comfortable in lots of different settings. I mean, there were only, you know, my class was 52 people, you know, and out of that 52, there were three black students. Mm. I mean, so, yeah, it was it was just a very um, interesting experience. I had really amazing classmates and a great school community to be a part of, but it made me just very adventurous and just really willing and comfortable developing relationships with people who don't share the same background, who come from all different, challenging myself. And I rode a horse. I had a horse up there for a year. Yeah, <laughs> right? I was that girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are the pictures. Um, but so just really out of my comfort zone. So I think for me, that was very defining. And I still have, my mother still looks at me sometimes. She's like, I just don't know where you came from. Because I just, I will do something that's just different or be willing to, to step out in that way. So maybe a little more courageous than I might have been otherwise. Do you know why your parents opt to send you to boarding school? So <laughs> they didn't send me. <laughs> it was, I went to a school here in LA um, uh, where they just, this, they heavily recruited, a better chance heavily hmm. recruited. And I, they came around, did the presentation. And I was like, I want to do that. And I got home and I said, hey, I want to apply to this program. And at the time I applied to a local school local independent school and then the boarding school and my parents were kind of like okay i mean if you want to go ahead and do it i don't think they really thought i was going to go and then when i got into both schools and said i wanted to go to the boarding school it was kind of too too late for them to back out then right it's like they already supported me and said it was okay and so it was it was definitely my choice um and they they let they allowed me to do it but i will say this once i got to the school my first semester I'm calling, crying, talking about, come get me, I want to come home. And my mother said, no, 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 you don't, you don't start something and not finish it. So you finish out this year, and then at the end of the year, we can talk about it, but you don't get to quit. Well, by the end of the first year, I was fine. But so it was one of those things where um, it was my decision, and they just supported me in it. And, you know, uh, and I, I, had to, I had to take ownership over that one, which is so different now when I hear like kind of younger kids and how they talk about their experiences. But it was definitely something that, that my parents did not come to <laughs> on their own. I, I definitely brought that one home. Before um, Alicia answers, so is, yeah. is um, Better Chance, or is it still around? Is the oh, yeah. Still oh around? yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. Oprah gave him, hearing of it. Oh yeah, Oprah gave him a whole bunch of money. Really? And, mm -hmm, it's, a, it's an amazing program. Yeah, I think wow. the New York equivalent is prep for prep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, yeah. So, Alicia, your moment yeah. in history that had the most mm -hmm. effect on you. So, I, I, when you first asked this question, I'm like, okay, I feel like I have to come up with this one <laughs> profound moment. But <laughs> I started thinking about, like, it, it probably predates me. It's uh, things that my grandmothers went through. And, mm. like, the influence my grandmothers have had in my life have totally shaped the person I am today. So I think about my grandmother who I talked to you about earlier, who's turning 90. Mm -hmm. um, she went to college at 16, uh, graduated mm -hmm. in three years with a major in biology and in chemistry, got accepted to medical school in Howard. But her father, who was very misogynistic and chauvinistic, forbade her to go and said he would not support her, he would not give her any money. So, wow. you know, at that point, she didn't have the courage at 19, 18, 19 years old to step out and do that on her own. So she became a teacher in the Houston area and started having children and stayed home. And, you know, p 
poured so much into her kids and to her grandkids. And I think about my maternal grandmother on the other side who, you know, both of them growing up in the Jim Crow South, um, who was a business owner. She got a cosmetology license, uh, was a business owner, but really advocated for my mom and her sisters and brothers to be like the guinea pigs of integration in Houston ISD and like sought out better school choices for them. And I think about, you know, how they so influenced me. They were like probably the biggest cheerleaders in my life, even beyond, you know my mom and how she is. My grandmothers were like that times 10 (laughs) because I was just like the manifestation of like their hopes and dreams of being two little black girls living in the Jim Crow South and the things that they could not accomplish. So like anything that like I had facing me there, my mom jokes, she says that you'd call your grandmothers a lot of times before you call me. And even when I moved out to LA, I called my grandmother and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to take this job. She was just like, girl, what is there to lose? You go out there. If you like it, you know, great. If you don't like it, come back. She was just like, but you go. There's so much there for you to explore. And you don't want to look back and wish or have regrets around what if. So I would say, like, the influence of my grandmothers in my life totally shaped who I am, totally shapes this courage that I have around facing life because you know, they were the first ones that were like, oh, yeah, my grandbaby can do that. And then ask questions <laughs> later. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't do that. So, you know, I would say those are the moments that um, I would say shape my identity. Hmm. It seems like just within your families, you have all these great individuals. Mm-hmm. Would it be too personal to put their stories in the box, in the hmm. Dreamkeeper's box? or? We talked about doing a, a, a box on educator, on education, sort of, you know, working in that space And because my mother was also a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and there's so many great educators to talk about. So that might be sort of the influence. Oh, so that might actually be the influence and in how it sort of shakes out more in that way. Um, yeah. More about a theme. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't. I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned it. Uh, something that um, my mom and I have been talking about a lot is like taking the stories that we heard about them and turning those into children's books yeah. uh, at one point in time. Cool. You have the uh, writer right here. Yeah, we've got the writer here. Um, so we've talked about that a lot. Uh, we just haven't put any action around that. And one of the things I had both of my grandmothers fill out is one of these books around like uh, grandmother tells granddaughter uh, these stories. So like it chronicles stories about her grandparents and like pictures Aww. from when she was growing up. So thanks for the idea. That's, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that, it, it might happen. Yeah. yeah, sounds like it should. So. I think on your website or some somewhere I read that since 2001, the interest in STEM um, relative to undergraduate majors have decreased by 30%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what's the cause of that in your opinion and what's the, the answer to make to turn that number around? It's a million dollar question, right? I think that there are so many, so many smart minds trying to figure this out right now. Um, and we're, we're listening, you know, and we, we follow the research and, and, you know, on all sort of education websites trying to understand, like, what is it? And so without having a really clear answer to that, we've just sort of taken the stand. Let's just let's figure out how to spark an interest in it, because at some point in time, you know, and, and I don't apologize, I don't remember exactly the studies, but they've shown um, 
that there's a certain age at which I don't know if it's sixth grade or somewhere where girls start to to lose interest. Well, it's earlier than that. It's third. It's yeah. third grade where they start to lose interest in STEM. And so before that, it's sort of more of an even playing field. But there's some trigger, something happens where suddenly they stop seeing themselves in those careers. And so that's why you see doll companies now trying to come out with dolls that 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 represent different careers. And so there's lots of different companies, lots of different researchers trying to figure out how to how to stop that 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 switch mm -hmm. from kind of going off mm -hmm. um i would imagine there's something very similar when you talk about the african-american community um there's somewhere i don't know if it's i don't I, I hate how people blame teachers for things but i think that blame teachers. yeah yeah <laughs> but i think that they're not being there's something about where those kids are not being encouraged to i think we talked about this a little bit earlier they're not being encouraged to see themselves as being capable of being smart or it's not rewarded in the same way um that's a whole I rabbit think, hole. You know, <laughs> I think images matter. I was reading some report this morning around um, uh, toys and how um, so many of our science and technology and robotics and engineering toys are gendered um, and they are seen as being for boys as opposed to girls. And I wonder how much of a parallel is that to like what we see amongst black children? How often do we see uh, black images um, of scientists and technologists and mathematicians. So, I mean, yeah. images matter. We constantly preach kids can't be what they don't see. So, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I think that plays a role in the why. Um, and if we get more folks from industry into schools who yes. are scientists and engineers and mathematicians to volunteer their time and their yeah. services and their brain trust so that kids can see this not on the annual career day but like on a regular ongoing basis i think yeah. that that would help me being the advocate for educators i think that would help in this effort because i see education as not just being the responsibility of the school but yeah. of the community and of the home and of uh, the church and all pieces working together so i think that's part of it too and i think that's what i'm saying it's like i don't so i don't think it's People like to blame teachers because they think that that's the easy scapegoat, but it's not just a teacher's responsibility mm -hmm. to provide that. It is the community. It is the families and, and so forth to make sure that everyone is pouring into that child. And so, you know, we know that the number of, of minority teachers that these kids tend to see is pretty small. I mean, there's a lot of work being done to increase the number of black male teachers. I mean, they're like the unicorns exactly. in the public education system pipeline right. issues all around because like most of the teaching workforce is like 80 percent white women yeah yeah that and so into like what we're the results that we're getting here. yeah and so i think that anywhere where where the community can kind of step up to fill in some of that gap and to support those teachers because they they need the help they need the content you know they don't have it from personal experience and so we've had some teachers that, that subscribe to the box you know mm -hmm. and so they're they're being able to have additional content to share with their students all year long so i think it's a i think it's a shared responsibility to make sure that we're keeping that whatever that switch is that goes off to make those kids think that they're not capable of it we need to do more to make sure and there's all these stem caps popping up and space camps and so I think that we, there's more that's being done to, you know, Black Girls Code and all the kind of things, trying to inspire that and trying to keep those kids engaged. And I think that that can hopefully help to, to stop that. Speaking of leaders, and Alicia, you kind of alluded to it earlier, that 
and to 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 simplify it, readers or, or leaders. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was two days ago, um, President-elect mm -hmm. Trump met with Steve Harvey to try to <laughs> get together and talk about the challenges within mm -hmm. the African-American community. Mm -hmm. Where, and so then I guess D.L. Hughley was like, well, why is he approaching, you know, either rappers to talk about something or comedians, athletes? So with all that said, mm. where, where are those leaders like back in the day, Booker T. Washington ilk of, you know, being advisors to presidents? Who, who are some of those leaders? Do, do we have leaders like that these days? Or is there a reason why we're seeking out comedians and entertainers? And like I said, I, I love Steve Harvey. Yeah, I think yeah. he's great, but don't know if he's the actual person yeah. to to talk about that issue. Yeah, I mean, so on one hand, we look at, you know, organizations like Black Lives Matter and people will say, oh, well, you know, we can't point to a leader there, but their whole model is like distributive leadership. So I do wonder like if people can't name the founders and the leaders of that organization, is there to your point, a need for like a unifying central figure. I was joking with a friend of mine. I was like, people just need a messiah. Like they need to <laughs> be able to point to somebody. So yeah, I I don't know. There are organizations who are working towards this uh, these efforts. And like, I think about the difference between like Ella Baker who believed in distributing leadership to the students versus Martin Luther King. You at the end of the day hear more about King than you hear about Ella Baker. People don't talk about Ella Baker because her whole theory of action, theory of change was to take a back seat and let the students lead. So I don't know if I have a good question, answer to your question of where are the leaders. I believe that uh, there are people on the front lines doing great work. Largely, they are not um, recognized. Um, I don't know if that's intentional. Some people talk about the fact that the founders of Black Lives Matter are um, black women um, who are a part of the LGBTQ community and how that plays into people's willingness to point to them as leaders in this work. Um, so I don't have a great answer. Yeah. I thought it was great. But I think what, what is interesting about it is I think, it, I think the fact that we can't point to a single black leader also shows how far our whole community has come since the time when we did have a Martin Luther King and so forth. Uh, the black experience is so much more varied now yeah. and people have a lot different like it's interesting like to even think of, like what is the black agenda like i don't even, you could talk to 10 people and they probably could give you 10 different things right because the, the experiences are just you know the economics depends on where you are economically and educationally and geographically sexually i mean you know mm -hmm. in terms of sexual orientation there's so many different things that that people have come to care about that I don't even know if there really is a really clear, except for stop killing us. <laughs> I don't even know if there's if there's more to to agenda. And it, it when you talk about this, I had to go back to to um, President Obama, and we put this on our Instagram page a couple of days ago. His quote from his um, farewell address last week. Um, he said, "Thank you for everything. My last." My last ask is the same as my first. I'm asking you to believe, not in my ability to create change, but in yours. And I think that that gets back to what Alicia was talking about with Black Lives Matter and with some of these other other um, organizations. I think it's not, it's more that distributive. Like he, 
that quote sort of says to me and reminds me of the fact that we're all capable of making this change. And so I think if you have everybody, it's like a whole lot of, of Indians and no chiefs. <laughs> Isn't that the expression? Or is it a whole bunch of, did I get that right? Or a whole bunch of chiefs and no like Indians. More chiefs. Than... <laughs> yeah, right? So I think everyone is thinking, I got it, I got it. And versus let's all kind of rallying together. So um, so I do think that, that, that people now are thinking, I'm empowered to make that change, which probably weakens our collective power in some ways. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up in a second, <laughs> okay. but I, I would be remiss if I didn't do, I, I do one on every event with Trent the Gent. Um, so we'll have both of you. So we can just go back and forth. And so, Sestina, since you have the mic, okay. we'll, we'll start with you. So it's the fill in the blank portion. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. So fill in the blank. <laughs> Don't stop blank. Believe in <laughs> You're the first. So what? I think this is like the 11th podcast and I've been waiting for someone to say, don't stop believing. And you're the first one to do it. So, um, great. Alicia? Same question. Yes. Don't I was stop. singing the same song in my head. <laughs> so she took your answer. She took my answer. Don't stop the fight, though. Don't stop the fight. Expound on that a little bit. You know, I think as I started off, um, this year for me personally was a day of, or 2016 was a day of reckoning, mm -hmm. and it has re-energized my passion around um, needing to dispel stereotypes and myths about who we are as a people. So uh, that's what Don't Stop the Fight means to me. Mm -hmm. Second one. You ready? Oh, oh yeah. Alicia, okay. you gonna give my answer? Because <laughs> I so, fear that she'll Alicia. take my answer. <laughs> For Alicia, so you can blank. Do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are giving all the ones. I'm like, you can do it. It's like, I think. Waterboy. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, exactly. Wait, too much pop culture right yeah. here, right? So uh, she took your answer. Now let's. You want to tell me? So we'll we'll put the the onus on Adina to. Come up with something I know. other than Isn't do that it. Awful. <laughs> Wait, what was it? You can. You can blank. I mean, it's kind of a variation. Of, I don't know, maybe I'm cheating, but you can achieve it. You know, it's it's just don't let anyone tell you about what you're capable of. Like no one else can define for you what you're actually capable of. It's more about about you exploring and trying to figure it out and just keep keep at it until you get to to reach your goals. And so. I think that was what, that's what I would say. It's like you can achieve it, and so it's kind of cheating a little bit off of no, that. but it's, it's it's great. Last one. Conversations are blank. Imperative. I can expand on that one, but <laughs> the gateway to understanding and finding common ground. Yeah. We're gonna make you expound. Okay. Uh, I don't think we talk enough. I think we get entrenched in our mindsets and no, let me we, not say when you say we everyone or is that uh, address to millennials is that addressed no to it's what? To, to everyone and yeah and i don't know that we we don't talk enough but more importantly we don't listen enough mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and we don't spend time trying to understand the other point of view and understand the other person's operating system and understand how the other person's experiences shape his or her worldview. 
and use that brain trust to come up with solutions. So mm -hmm. I think that's where I land there. Yeah. People are just, we're just talking at each other. I think this last yeah. election just showed me it all my, my, what it came to me, I was like, oh my gosh, we're all, I talk about other people being in a bubble, but I was like, I'm in a bubble. Like we're all in these <laughs> bubbles existing only with the people. We've shoved the people out who don't believe what we believe, right? Yeah. We've shoved them out of our bubble. You know, social media, we've unfriended them. We stopped watching them on Twitter. Like we've shoved out everybody out of our bubbles who makes us feel bad or challenges our thinking and, and kind of kept around the people who are like-minded, which is good in some ways, but there is something to be said about diversity of thought as well, you know, and just if you have all of those different perspectives, then the outcome can be greater than it would be if it was only based on one perspective. And so I think that, you know, and we talk about this so much like in work, and then I just, it was shattering to realize that I actually was existing in a bubble. Um, and so I think that that's why conversations are so necessary is because, but like Alicia said, I think it's, now it just feels like, especially with Twitter, like you're just talking at, one, we're talking at one another and not listening. And so it's easy to get away with saying something in a tweet, but if you actually have to sit down and have a conversation with someone and respond, that's where real understanding comes from, not just a social media post. So that's- we'll ever get back to I hope so. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't look like there's any turning back there, ladies, I but know. we'll see. <laughs> uh, so let's end with, um, well, end will be the, the last question. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to let the, um, listeners know how to reach you so you'll have that opportunity but the last question would be so with Martin Luther King um, day being tomorrow and as we know he he had a dream and mm -hmm. had a lot to do with your um, mm -hmm. dream box so and certainly I think we are manifesting that dream right we we've definitely come a long way mm -hmm. uh, but there's still some things to be done as well so, and just coming off of our first African-American president, uh, President Obama, sorry, sorry, Clinton. Yeah. He used to say he was the first one, but <laughs> so, so, so what are some of your dreams and aspirations for, not for America, but for the American educational system? Because yeah. I think yeah. if we start there, yeah. then that's where things will, will start to change. So yeah. both of you can address that. So I think we talked about this earlier, um, but we believe that black history is American history. So, you know, getting beyond only looking at different the accomplishments, the accomplishments of different cultural groups in a designated heritage month, but really how do we, within the education system, weave those stories, right? So when a movie like Hidden Figures comes out, it's not a huge shock. And suddenly you, you better catch that one because you don't know when the next one's coming along, right? And so if the, if the American education system could actually weave those stories throughout their entire curriculum, um, reach kids on an emotional level, you know, not just an intellectual level, but really connect with them and, and show them the relevancy of what they're learning. You know, I, like, you know, I here thinking our box is the solution and everything, but I think what we do right is contextualizing what kids are learning and give them, um, it's kind of that career to college or career to, or, or yeah, and so forth, just really trying to bring all that together. So that's what I would like to see is really just kind of more of the inclusion of these stories actually throughout um, a child's education experience. Before you hand it over. So, so how, how, how does that start? How do we get someone to understand that we need to include these stories? 
So I think it's once again back to who's listening, right? So if I think you have to get to um, to teachers, right? I mean, it's like there's so many teacher conferences and all these great charter schools and so forth. But if those leaders are only talking to one another, how are they going to find out about this? And so um, you have to inf infuse different voices into the conversation with mm -hmm. teachers and share those different voices. Give them the resources to be able to do what we're talking about. Give them the models for being able to do this. I think that like some of the, these large charter school networks have gotten so many things so right. And I think that this, adding this cultural, this cultural piece to it could just take it to that next level. And so I think that that's what it is, is just really kind of understanding more about who the student is and what their experience is and this wealth of, of role models and so forth who could really enhance the learning experience. So I think it's, it's diversifying who's in that room making those decisions and, and making sure that, that, that you have those voices in there who can bring that perspective. And I think systematizing it, like, you yeah. know, across, it, it has to go beyond just the teacher, but it has to go to, like, the school leader and the mm -hmm. school mm -hmm. system. I would say that, you know, as a teacher, the reason I know about all of these children's books is because I sought out children's books featuring people of color. So it's not something that's new and novel to teachers. No teacher is going to say, oh, I didn't know about that book. Most of the teachers will know about the books that we have in here, but it's the fact that we do this STEAM learning in a culturally relevant way that I think is unique. Um, and just finding ways for, I know Dina put in the plug for uh, making it happen in charter schools, but the reality of it is that 90% yeah, of our kids true. are taught in district, in district schools district in this schools. country, so it yeah. needs to happen in district schools yeah. as well, as a yep. former district school administrator. That is something that I'm passionate yeah. about. Um, but like figuring out ways to make this um, a systematized effort and I know there are school districts who are thinking about this right now they are doing some of the work around this they are trying to tackle these big meaty issues of um, representation so I think yeah. there's some movement on it but like of course we always want to move faster um, to answer your question about the dream um, I think about this quote from uh, Dr. King's speech or like this one line from his speech that says we can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity with signs that say whites only. And to me, those words are still relevant today, particularly when we look at the sparse number of African-American children who are accessing careers in STEM. Um, while we don't have Jim Crow laws around, um, these whites only signs still exist in invisible ways. When kids only see white scientists and engineers, that reinforces this idea that maybe these careers aren't for me. Um, and we constantly talk about kids can't be what they can't see. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that all kids need to be engineers, but what I am saying is that, you know, all kids need the access and the agency to make that choice for themselves rather than having their, that choice made for them. So my hope for education is that we don't continue to rob children of their dignity with invisible signs that say whites only. But instead, my hope is that we empower kids um, and help them tap into their potential, um, help them realize their purpose, help them understand how to navigate this world in the skin that they're in mm -hmm. so that they are the leaders of the next generation. Devil's advocate, yeah. just real quick. So what would be your response to if someone said, well, just by fact of African-Americans being in America, they do have access. <laughs> what would be your response to, to that? 
because that might be the mindset of, of some. They, they do have access. Mm -hmm. They maybe are just not taking the opportunity that might be in front of them. So is there... That's rather ill-informed, right? Yeah. I think we know, we know the impact that adults can have on child. So sure, it might be there, but what is that child hearing? What are they hearing in their homes? What are they hearing in their communities? What are they hearing yeah, in their the schools? News. What are they hearing in the news, right? What is pouring into that child that might keep that, keep, you know, make it so that it's really not accessible? College is crazy expensive, right? I mean, like... You know that. Right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Talk about that right now. <laughs> but for, for some kids, they just, they don't see that as being attainable because of this huge price tag that's stuck on it. So... So there are things, like Alicia was saying, there are still those barriers that might exist. They exist in very different ways, right? But they're still there. Mm -hmm. You know, we might be willing to take on a $50,000 loan, I'm just gonna throw that number out there, to go to school, right? Because for whatever reason, but another child might say, $50,000, no I can't possibly do that, right? Because they don't see the other side of it realizing what that doors that could open for them. So I think there's a lot of things that, that go on to keep kids in their own minds, right? Thinking that, that those things are not, not really in reach for them. I, I said we were going to go in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm good for that. I said we we're going to end and they're not doing it. Yeah. Uh, but while we were sitting here, one of your answers kind of sparked another um, offshoot of Dream Keeper's Box. Okay. So, and, and all I could think about was as a kid, and I think they still have them, the scholastic books, the, the book order forms mm -hmm. that you would just yep. get yeah. the book and all excited and you can check off the book. They send you a link now. Oh, oh it's a link now, excuse mm. me. Mm. So why I can see the Dream Keepers box being that for today's children as that kind of idea because we're talking about getting into those public schools, yeah. for, like the charter schools, but the, the, the public schools it would be great that they can just mm -hmm. order your box, mm -hmm. which is going to include books and activities. So have you guys given that any thought? Yeah, so we're trying to figure out what the right way um, to tap into the school-based market is. Because as Dina mentioned, we've had several teachers subscribe to yeah. our box and then have reached out or had their administrators reach out about, like, how do we get this in schools? We don't want to fundamentally change what the experience is because we believe in that home-based experience, but we are tinkering around with what does a school access point look like, whether that is um, schools using Title I funds to send this home with kids and their parents, mm -hmm. whether this is an order yeah, form that happens, whether it's an after-school um, thing, whether it's mm -hmm. a form that gets sent home before spring break, here's something that you can do during spring break, or here's mm -hmm. something that you can do during the summer. So we're playing around with that. Um, we feel like right now we're trying to get this baby to <laughs> to walk, uh, but yes, to hatch, to hatch, <laughs> to hatch. Exactly. Uh, but yes, that is definitely something on our radar. It's just a matter mm -hmm. of like figuring out that access point. Yeah. Into so a lot of red tape would be involved for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. being a uh, administrator for <laughs> yeah, and some some folks have already sent us like forms to be on their district vendor list mm -hmm. um, so that they can purchase. So we're like going through those and like figuring out you know, mm -hmm. what that means um, mm -hmm. to be on a district vendor list so that it can be purchased. But yeah, 
We're excited about that possibility because mm-hmm. one of our big strategic questions is yeah. um, around expanded access. Um, and what does that mean? Um, is there some online component that we look at? Is there a school partnership that we look at? Um, is it going to younger kids? So like that larger question of access is one of those meaty questions that we're gonna tackle in our strat planning meeting. Yeah. And when we started this off, we were trying to figure out how do we get this into the hands of kids whose parents can't afford it. Afford it. Yeah. And so that has not, we, we, we've gone direct to parents with a different type of model, but that, that desire hasn't left. Yeah. We're still, that's the thing that we still want to figure out. And we hope that as we get bigger, that we'll be able to do more yeah, more in that in that vein. Yeah, we're mindful that the kids who need it most are probably not the ones getting it right now. Yeah. yeah. So with all that said, mm-hmm. what are the best so- social platforms, yeah. websites? How yeah? How do they reach you? So our website is www.dreamkeepersbox.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at dreamkeepersbox. Um, our our next box is actually that's coming out is our aerospace box. So we, we talked about hidden figures, but we are actually going to have the reader's edition of hidden figures in there, um, a rocket experiment, a balloon rocket, and a an explore space kit, and some really fun things planned for this upcoming box. So um, each month is a completely different experience. Kids don't know what they get, so it's like they get a, a present each month. You know, it's, it's, it's something really fun and exciting. So. Um, definitely follow us on on our social platforms uh, and uh, check out our website. All right. So with that, I want to end with something that Booker T. Washington did say. And his quote from him says, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. Mm -hmm. And so I want to thank you, Dina, and you, Alicia, for doing all these great, excellent things for, for our children. And I'm glad to to meet you and to to share it with the world. Awesome. Thank Thank you. It's been fun. You're welcome. Thank you. Venters, I trust that you found tremendous value in that episode. So please don't keep Vent with Trent the Gent a secret. Share it with your friends and contacts. They will thank you for it later. I want to thank you in advance for your reviews on iTunes. See you next episode.